Today's reading from God's holy word in the Old Testament is from Proverbs chapter 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Today's New Testament reading and sermon passage is from Luke chapter 2. Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. It's good to see you all. For those of you who are watching online, Merry Christmas. We're glad that you're watching. Uh, my name is Jamie and one of the pastors here. And so very glad that you are here with us. We're in this series of Advent. We've been looking at Emmanuel, God with us. And very specifically, we're trying to figure out uh, why is that important? How does God's nearness, his closeness, how does it change our lives even today? Oh, good for you, deacons, always on patrol and watching things. <laughs> Pardon me? No. Yeah, the smoke will be like a cool effect for, you know, smoke and mirrors. All right. So if you're watching online, uh, one of the candles just tipped over and our ever faithful, dashing, daring deacon, Tim, came and rescued us from being burnt down, so that's good. Coming back to the text, um, we have this fascinating account today of Jesus as a preteen, and it's really the only biblical account that we have of Jesus with his boyhood. What's going on in the text? What we see is uh, Jesus and his family, they go to Jerusalem, as they always do, for the Passover. And when the Passover you know, time concludes, the family travels back, and Jesus stays. And he stays in the temple, and he's learning about his father, his heavenly father. Now, like Mary and Joseph of that time, we're looking at this text, and we're like, well, what does it mean? Uh, is Jesus just being precocious? Is he being you know, kind of some irresponsible preteen? It's actually something completely different, and it's other. Jesus is there, and he's figuring out, what does it mean to be the Son of God? 
What's going on is his identity is being deeply rooted in who he is as God's son, not just a son as being an image bearer, but also the second person of the Trinity. It's this identity that's going to actually carry him to the cross to die for our sins. It's this identity that gives him the assurance that God is going to resurrect him from the dead. Now today we're gonna to be talking about this topic of sonship. And so we're gonna ask three questions which are really becoming our three points. Uh, what is it? Why is it important? And how do we grow in it? And the overarching idea is this, as Jesus grew in his sonship, we too are to grow in our adoption as being children of God. Now, this is a good topic. Let me pray for us. God, we pray because we need you. And so Holy Spirit, would you blow upon us right now that we would hear your word for what it really is, words of the living God. That we might be changed by your word. That your word would make us different, better, more like Jesus who is our brother, as we will see in this text. So God, we pray that you would guard my words, but also would you guard our hearts that we would honor your word now. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So first, sonship, what is it? Uh, the Bible talks about sonship in two ways. It talks about sonship as Jesus being the son of God, but then also that we are the children of God. So let's look at that first one, Jesus, the son of God. If you have your Bibles, you turn back in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. We saw this a few weeks ago. Gabriel, the angel, comes to Mary and says, The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and though you are a virgin, by the power of God, you're going to have a, ki a kid, a child. Now, you might just take a step back and say, That's rather shocking. That's just amazing. This, this woman's going to have a supernatural birth. But then the text continues, and if you remember back from that sermon, uh, the Greek, the original language is rather awkward. It literally says, begetting the holy called son of God. And so our English translation goes like this, uh, the holy will be born, the name will be son of God. What's going on is the Lord God who sends the baby is the baby, and all of a sudden, it's not just shocking that Mary's going to have this kid, it's more that this kid is God himself. And so what we see is when the Bible talks about sonship, one component is Jesus is the Son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is God incarnate, and he comes to this earth. Now, Jesus, though, is not the only son of God in the sense of sonship. The Bible also says that we are sons and daughters of God. There's a general sense and there's a specific sense. The general sense is that all people are children of God because we are all image bearers of our God. And we go back to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, it says we are created in the image of God. And as his image bearers, we are now children of God. But there also is a very specific sense of what it means to be a child, a son, a daughter of God. Very specifically, it is those who are saved by faith. It is those who are what we call the elect, those who have been adopted into the kingdom, those who have been, if you will, adopted by God. They are the true children of God. 
The Apostle Paul writes it very succinctly. He says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, you all are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus the Lord. And what he is saying is, well, rather what he is not saying is that we are the son of God. Only Jesus is the son of God, the second person of the Trinity. But what Paul the Apostle is saying is we share in his sonship. We have a right to the Father. We are heirs with Christ. That means we are sons and daughters of the living God. Now, the Apostle Paul writes about this again in Romans chapter 8. Hear these words, uh, starting at verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Do you hear that? We are children of God by faith in Christ. We are co-heirs with him. He has secured all the benefits of what it means to be children, and he bestows that upon us through faith. The Apostle John writes about this in John chapter 1. There he says, He, Jesus, came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. We are adopted into God's kingdom, supernaturally. Our catechism says this, which we read earlier in our worship today. What is adoption? Adoption is an act of God's free grace, whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. So what's the core of sonship according to the scriptures? It's not just knowing who God is, but it's knowing that you belong to God that you can say, he is my God and I am his child, that being a child of God is my primary identity above all other things. That is sonship. Now our second point then is well, why do we need it? We look at this passage and we sometimes question why is this in the Bible? How does this really further the story of how Jesus dies on the cross for our sins? So most people look at this passage and we say, well, it's kind of interesting, you know, it shows that Jesus was a he was a godly young boy. He had a heart for God. You know, at the end of the story, he obeys his parents, and that's a good thing. But if we put our minds into a Jewish context, this is actually a profound passage, because what it says is Jesus is growing in his sonship with his heavenly Father. So let's dig in. Look at verse 41. Here we have an annual Passover feast, and what's kind of a customary thing is a whole village would then travel to Jerusalem and so it would be like this traveling party, and they would go to uh, the holy city for this annual Passover feast. Verse 42, Jesus is 12. This is a very important detail. This is the year that a boy was apprenticed by his father. And so in Jesus' context, his father being a carpenter, this is the year that Jesus was to learn the trade of what it means to be a carpenter. But also, this is the year that Jesus is to be apprenticed, not only in a trade, but also in the faith. And so this is the year that he sits under his father's teaching. 
Not that he was ignoring his father up until then, but the father's beginning to transfer more and more responsibility of the faith to his son. And so at Passover, here is Jesus. He's going to have roles in the Passover feast. He's sitting there. He's learning. He's being taught. What does it mean to be a Jew and to love the Lord as God with all his heart, soul, and strength? Look at verses 43 through 45. The Passover concludes and the family returns and yet Jesus remains in Jerusalem without his parents' knowledge. I just want to point out that's easy to happen. Again, they travel as a whole village, and so the men are kind of hanging out with men, the women are hanging out with the women, and the kids are hanging out with the kids. There's nothing new under the sun. And so it's easy to not notice because they think, oh, he's with his cousins. He's safe. He's cool. He's good. But then they notice he's not there. Look at verse 36. It takes them three days to find him. You can imagine the worry of the parents. And they find him in the temple courts. But also another detail, verse 47. What they also find is everyone is amazed at Jesus' understanding. And then verse 48, Mary says, you know, Jesus, why are you treating us like this? Your father and I have been searching everywhere for you. I just want a very quick note, very sensitively as well. Some of you have grown up in a tradition where um, Mary is called sinless. I put before you that this actually demonstrates that she is not. She's blame shifting. And uh, it's her responsibility to watch over Jesus. And she's like, why are you treating us this way? Uh, I want to be very fair because, yes, Mary has an incredibly admirable faith. Um... She is the one who said, may it be to me as you have said. She is the one who was blessed. She is the one who was fi highly favored with God. And yet, very clearly and very simply, she is still a sinner. And she needs the Savior. That's why we saw even last week, Simeon says, a sword will pierce through you as well. Let's continue on. Verse uh, 49. This is really the key verse, if you will. Here Jesus responds to his parents, well, why were you searching elsewhere? And then look what he says, I must be in my father's house. I must be. There's nowhere else I could be. What he's saying is, is I'm being apprenticed by my heavenly father. Yes, Joseph, you are my dad, but also the heavenly father, he's my dad. And he says, don't you see who my father is? Here is Jesus and he's growing in his sonship. He's growing in his understanding. He's growing in his uh, understanding of his identity, of his mission, of his calling, of his dependence upon his heavenly father. I think for us, this is difficult to understand. Sometimes we think Jesus was born, already arrived. You know, like he just kind of had this supernatural gifting. He had it so easy. You know, he's God. He just kind of knew it. Yes, Jesus is God. But the Bible is very clear, he is also fully man. And as a man, as a one who was born as the way we were born, he really had to grow up. He did go to school. He did learn, he studied, he matured. He grew in his understanding of what it means to be the son of God. Now this is difficult for us to understand, but look at verse 50. This was difficult for Mary and Joseph as well. Uh, we just need to see the paradox here. Verse 51. Here is Jesus. He's infinite, eternal, unchanging king of all things. <laughs> here he is. He's the God of heaven. And yet he's obeying his parents. <laughs> That's just a, it's a paradox to us. 
Here is Jesus, the one who is full of majesty, the ones that the prophets all spoke about, the one that the angels are singing his praise, the one who has all these majestic titles, and yet the meekness of Jesus. He's born in a stable, in a manger. He's born under poor circumstance, and here he is obeying his parents. There it says, Mary treasures up these things. She's slowly drinking in the reality, not just the miracle of her son, but that her son is the son of God. And then verse 52, this summary, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, or maturity, both in favor with God and man. Jesus is being apprenticed by his heavenly father. We need to ask, well, what was the father teaching him? What did father say to the son as far as, you know, I'm going to apprentice you? Part of it is identity. Who are you? Another part of it is it's acceptance. How loved are you? But then another part is even dependence, the confidence to go forward and serve even in the the most difficult of situations. I think a way that's a really good example of this is what follows in Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, there we see what's called the temptation of Christ. Uh, Jesus goes into the desert and he fasts as a real man and he actually abstains from eating food. He's likely drinking uh, water and so he's really, really hungry. Again, he does this as a real person. And Satan comes and meets him in the desert and he tempts the Lord Jesus. And when we look at that account, it's fascinating how Satan introduces the temptation. He says this, if you are the son of God, do you hear that? If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now we may not think of much of that temptation. We kind of say, well, of course. You know, Jesus is really hungry. Just kind of make some bread. Feed yourself. What we need to see here is Satan's actually going for the jugular. Satan's really being vicious, if you will. What he's saying is, is, I'm tempting you, Jesus, to use your power for your own selfish gain. Yes, you're the son of God, and if you are the son of God, use that power for yourself. He's saying... To Jesus, you know, if you're the son of God, then trust yourself because you're the son. Don't trust the father. You're the son. He says, if you're the son of God, you don't have to give glory to the father. You're the son. Give glory to yourself. And what Satan is doing is he's trying to get Jesus away from his true sonship. And if he can get Jesus away from his true sonship, then he gets him away from the Father. And if he gets him away from the Father, then everything unravels. How does Jesus respond to Satan? There in Luke chapter 4, he says, what does the Father's word say? What a beautiful response. What Jesus is saying is, I'm going to go back to my sonship. I'm going to go back to what I am, my identity, my acceptance, and my dependence. And he says, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the Father. Do you see that there, identity? I am the Son, but I'm the Son of my Father. I have acceptance. My Father perfectly loves me, and he's going to care for me. And yes, I am hungry, but I depend upon him because he is my confidence and not even myself. What we need to see is this sonship is the foundation of even Jesus going to the cross. We read later in the book of Luke, Jesus goes to the garden of Gethsemane and he's wrestling before he's getting ready to go to the cross. 
And he says that, uh, Luke says about Jesus that his wrestling was so intense that the fine capillaries in his skin begin to burst and it says his sweat became like drops of blood. It's a real thing. When you have so much anxiety, when you have so much pressure, when you have so much stress upon, upon you, your fine capillaries can begin to burst. Sometimes you see that like if you get like bloody eyes, it's because you're so stressed. And here is Jesus and what's he stressed over? He's saying, God, if there's another way, take this cup from me because he knows that the full wrath of God is coming upon him for our sin. And Jesus as a real man is really wrestling. And yet what does Jesus do? Because of his sonship, he says what? Not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. This is amazing. This, it's this same sonship that is the assurance of the resurrection. Here again is Jesus, and he knows he's going to die. He knows he's going to take the full curse that is due for our sin. He knows he's going to be separated from the Father. And yet he has assurance of resurrection. Why? Because he is the Son. He is much loved. And he knows the promises that the Father has made that he will be resurrected. And so he trusts in that sonship to go forward with the greatest act of love ever recorded, ever known. Friends, I put before you that sonship is the foundation of our Christian life. Someone might say, I thought justification was the foundation. You know, all our sins are forgiven in Christ. I actually agree. Certainly that is the foundation. Yet, listen, the, the knowing the experiential side of that justification comes through what we call adoption. See, with adoption, that's where we begin to see, you know, I do belong, I am accepted, I am loved, I am forgiven. I am cherished as a much-loved child. I put before you, without adoption, without sonship, Christian life is just duty. Christian life would just be performance. A stronger word is the Christian life would be slavery. And this is exactly what Paul the Apostle writes against when he says in Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Friends, we desperately need this sonship. We need this daughtership. We need to know what it means to be children of God. Now, for some of us, this is unfamiliar. And so we say, well, what do I do with this? And that's our third point. How do we grow in our sonship? Well, how did Jesus grow in his sonship? Here we said... He spent time with the Heavenly Father. As a boy, he went to the temple. We see that this pattern of spending time with his Heavenly Father continues into adulthood. Uh, all the Gospels begin with this account that Jesus would go to desolate places to pray. Why was he going to do that? To spend time with his Heavenly Father. Friends, it's the beginning of a new year in just a few days. A new year is a new time to start new patterns, to have new disciplines. And I put before you, this is a passage that is so incredibly clear. We are those who are to spend time with our Heavenly Father. And so one clear application already is this. 
Will you spend time with your Heavenly Father? Will you be in the Word of God in 2022? Will you be one who is praying and praying unceasingly, if you will, that you have this spirit of prayer about you, that you are one who's committing to be in fellowship with the saints so that you can grow in your understanding and enjoyment of the Heavenly Father. Some of you might say, I've never read the Bible. I mean, I read it, but I don't really like read it, read it. Where do you start? I would say start with a gospel. There's four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Any of those gospels is a great place to start. Start by reading a chapter a day. It's only about five minutes. And then just meditate upon that. Think about it. What is God saying to me about who Jesus is, who God is, but also what is the Bible saying about who I am as his daughter or his son? If you want, you can go to our church website. There we have under resources, uh, reading plans, and you can pick one. There's actually about a dozen of them at this particular website. And so you can pick one that fits you. There, I'm stumbling because there's so many of them. <laughs> you can read through the Bible in a year. They even have this one you can read through the Bible in three months. Uh, pick one that fits you. As you would read the scriptures, though, one of the things I want to point out is what is it that we need to hear? This is where we're going to slow down just a little bit. When you read the scriptures, often there's a temptation of we read it as like a to-do, like a manual of, okay, I need to do this, this, and this. Instead, what I'm encouraging us is through the sermon today is allow the scriptures to speak to you regarding your sonship, your daughtership. What does it mean to be adopted as a child of God? As you read through the scriptures, ask these questions, identity, who am I in Christ? As you read acceptance, how much am I loved? Dependence, can I really serve with confidence? A good example of how to do this is, uh, here we are in Luke chapter two, in Luke chapter three is the baptism of Jesus. And here, John the Baptist, he baptizes Jesus. If you remember that account, as Jesus is coming up out of the water or as the water's being poured over him, um, a dove descends from the heavens and that's the Holy Spirit and the Father's voice speaks and says, um, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is so instructive. Here it is, Jesus, he's being baptized and he's being baptized on our behalf for our righteousness but it's even speaking about our own sonship, our own daughtership in Christ. Look at these words that the Father speaks. This is my son, identity. Here the Father is identifying, saying, Jesus, you are the son of the eternal God. The Bible then says Christ's identity is our identity when we have faith in him. Now, what does that mean? It means that when Jesus went to the cross and secured all the privileges and access of God, we now have this inseparable bond with our heavenly Father. God can never let us go because we're in Christ. Just as he will never let his son, the, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ go, he will never let us go. We have this inseparable bond. Not only because of Christ do we have this bond, but all things are ours. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, all things are yours. Whatever Jesus has, you have, because you are now in him. And this is what enables us to pray with this familiarity saying, Abba, Father, Abba being the Jewish word of saying, Daddy. 
And so when we pray to God, it's not just this formal fear, it's this, Jesus, because you died for me, and now I'm a son or a daughter, God is my father, and not a scary father, but Abba Father, identity. What else does the father say when Jesus is baptized? Whom I love, that means acceptance. Christ perfectly obeyed the father, even going to the cross for our sins, and Christ's perfect obedience secures the father's love and satisfaction for us. And so through faith, we are accepted in Christ, and that means not only forgiveness, but acceptance. It is all yours through Christ. What else does the Father say to Jesus? With him, I am well pleased. This really speaks to a fearless dependence that Jesus can do the mission of the Father, that he can go forward no matter what the suffering and no matter what the temptation is. When I was in high school, I ran track, and we were doing indoor track because it's the Midwest, and... um, I had an injury, and so I was doing a a half mile on kind of a tight track, and because of the injury, um, my feet were flapping on the track, and I was really slow. And so everyone like finished like a half lap ahead of me, and I'm literally dead last, just dead last. And you could hear me, flap, 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 flap. And like all of a sudden, everyone's like looking at me, and it's like this really awkward situation. And I look up and I see my parents um, in the, the bleachers and they're kind of like smiling at me and I'm like, are they laughing at me? Uh, but they're like cheering me on. They're like, that's my son. <laughs> we love him. Keep on going, Jamie. And so, flap, 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 I crossed the line. And they didn't make fun of me. They cheered me on and it kept me going. Uh, I got better, (laughs) still able to run. But that sonship does something to you. When you are in the midst of that race and you're like, man, I just feel like getting off the track and just going and hiding. When you see your parents looking at you and smiling and approving, it does something to you. That's what sonship does. You see, sonship comes along and says, you belong. God, you are my God, and I am your child. And it changes you. It changes not only the way that you kind of read the scriptures, but it changes how you think about the Christian life. Again, so often when we read the Bible, we read it as a to-do list. With sonship, it changes everything. When we screw up, and we screw up so many times, often we say, I'm just going to try harder, I'm going to do better, like this formula of Christian living. Sonship says that's not the way. See, if you're just trying harder and doing better, then there's no joy. It's slavery. You're actually living according to the law and not according to the Spirit of God. The gospel says what? You are mine. I love you. I empower you. And when that begins to happen in your life, then you are one who has changed fundamentally. First, you have assurance. My performance does not change my Heavenly Father's view of me. If God is viewing me as he views the Son, then my performance is secure in Christ and Christ alone. But also there's not only assurance, there's this honest joyfulness. Because I'm accepted, because I'm in Christ, I have a joyfulness because I know that the Father is looking upon me with approval, with a smile. 
putting it back in the terms of the race. Jesus won the race that I couldn't win. And because I stand in his victory, I'm a winner before God. And if you have that kind of joy, I put before you, it's a contagious joy. When people see you smiling, when they see you joyful, that's different than our world today. People want to know what's going on. I want that type of joy. But then also becomes a fearless obedience. So often what I find in our Christian life is we do the things that we know that we can do. We're afraid to take risks for Christ. And so instead of risking, we sit there and we rust. If we fail, we give up. If we fail, we say, what was the use? If we fail, God must not have wanted me to do it. But if Jesus is our brother and we stand in his identity, then God who says, I am well pleased, he is well pleased with me as well. And it doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't even matter what I think. The only thing that matters is what Jesus thinks. And so that frees me to be incredibly bold to live for Jesus and not worry. I think one of the most moving pictures emotionally, kind of viscerally, is the picture of the prodigal son. And it's a picture of sonship. You all are familiar with that picture in Luke chapter 15. That's where the son, this is a parable, Jesus is telling a story about a young man who basically spurns his dad and says, give me the inheritance, give me all the money. And then he takes that money and he goes, spends it on wild living. And then Jesus completes the story and he talks about where's the father in all this? Verse 20. But while the young man was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and it is found and they began to celebrate. Friends, if you want to know what sonship is, that's sonship. God's celebrating over you turning to him and he's been waiting and waiting and waiting for you to come and by faith that he gives to you, you come and he celebrates because you who are now dead are now alive. There's another character in that account. If you remember, there's another brother He's the self-righteous older brother. <laughs> and he's angry. And I think he's right to be angry. Here's the son, and he's squandered all that stuff. He says, this son of yours, he's come home, and he's devoured all your property with prostitutes. But then he gets angry at the father for his generous grace. For him, you killed the fattened calf? And then the father's response is beautiful. The father says to the self-righteous son, son, you are always with me. And all that I have, is it's yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead, and now he is alive. He was lost, but now he is found. Friends, that's sonship. That speaks to our identity of who we are in Christ and what Jesus has secured for us, but also it speaks to our acceptance 
Christ has secured it 100%, but also our dependence. We fully depend upon God, and it gives us a confidence to go forward and risk and do things by faith because we belong to him. As Jesus grew in his sonship, we too are to grow in our adoption as being children of God. Would you pray with me? God, we come to you asking that you would do that by your spirit. Grow us in our understanding of what it means to be children of God. You who have elected us by your love, you've made us to be sons and daughters by your grace. It's not anything we've done. We want to grow in that because we want to be bold in living for you. Even as our Lord Jesus was bold, even to the point of dying on the cross for our sins. Jesus, we can't die on the cross for other people's sins, but you do call us to pick up our cross and daily deny ourselves. We can only do that if we see that we belong to you, that we stand in you, that you are our God and we are your children. God, would you do that in our midst? We pray in your holy name. Amen.